Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. Um, like I say, it's up on the screen. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's, we don't wrestle against people. But against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Pause. That list there is not talking about wrestling against governments, which is authorities. In the context here, it's clear. Paul is talking about demonic authorities, demonic powers, evil spirits, essentially. That's what the Christian battle is against. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you, Lord. We do love your word. We really do. And uh, Father, I just want to ask that you would really help me now as I proclaim your word, that life would come. We know, Lord, that when you speak, life comes. So I pray that in your grace you would speak even through me. Help me, Lord, not to, not to go off on my own thing, but to stick to your words in the Bible. Pray for all those that are listening, Lord. You'd give them ears to hear what you're saying discerning hearts, sensitive hearts. I pray there would be no kind of uh, deep-rooted fear in people's hearts that keep them from wanting to hear what you're saying in case you say something that's too terrible. Lord, you are good. And we thank you, God, that even though um, walking with you is not easy, it's good. And life, life to our bones and healing to our soul. And I pray, Lord, there'd be no undue wrong fear in people's hearts. But, Lord, they'd be be receptive to what... you're wanting to say by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, go to work through these words, we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so what we've done so far, quick catch up. We've looked at this whole idea that um, various things like truth, Christian truth, righteousness, readiness, faith and salvation, among other things, are also armour for us as a Christian. As we become versed in these things and really let them soak into our life and heart and mind that actually it's massively protective, keeps us in a good health spiritually, keeps us from being taken out and defeated. We've looked at the language Paul uses here about spiritual warfare, that it's close contact. He uses the term wrestling and we've looked at how in a wrestling match it's very different from long distance warfare. It's, 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 there are certain things that go on in a wrestling match. The aim, you aim to, uh, to paralyse your opponent. You aim to uh, hurt and disorientate and confuse your opponent. Uh, the aim is to intimidate your opponent. And Satan will do all of those things to the Christian to try and uh, tie us up in knots and keep us from bearing fruit for Christ, keep us from running freely, keep us from a place of joy and lightness, um, keep us from simplicity of faith, keep us from the life of love and tie us up in fear, anxiety, bitterness and various other things. And we've got to be aware of that. Now we've tried not to link the bit of armour with the spiritual virtue too tightly because throughout the Bible it's used interchangeably. 
Last week when we got to salvation, we, we, we tied it a bit closer with the helmet and helmet of salvation because all through scripture, where spiritual armor is spoken about, helmet and salvation go together. So we looked about the, the battle for the mind, particularly around the subject of salvation. This week, it is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, yeah, all through the Bible, the sword and the word are, okay, come through time and time again. So because of that, again, we're going to really st- let these things stay close together because it's a very, very common theme. We'll look at some scriptures as we go through today. So the, the exciting thing about today's message is we are no longer looking at weaponry of defense. Today we get to go on the attack. Yay! So we get to stick our enemy, which is great. It's always good. Um, it's good to be able to soak up a bit of a beat and then put your guard up well. But if you never get a chance to land a few good strikes, then, you know, come on, that's no good. So praise God, we get to stick him, which is God's plan for us. Amen? Amen. 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 Only three of you are up for that. Okay, <laughs> that's a worry. That's a real worry. Um, so that's good. We're going on the attack with this stuff. We're going to look at what that looks like. Um, you've got to have an appetite for a bit, a bit of a fight in you if you're going to be a Christian. You have. You've got to be ready to land a few blows. Otherwise, you see, you'll, you'll soak it up, and then your moment's there, and you won't take it. You've got to take your moment. It's like when Mike Tyson, I think it was 1991, heavyweight championship <laughs> against Buster, James Buster Douglas. Mike Tyson took a beating for about 13 rounds because he was unprepared and untrained. He took an absolute hammering. By the thir- I think it was the 13th round. I think it was something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, you won't hit... If I've got it wrong, I'm not preaching. This is an illustration, okay? So the round might be wrong. His eyes are swollen from taking jabs for the last 13 rounds. And Buster Douglas, by this point, is utterly confident. He's going in, he's going in, he's going in. His guard's getting lower and lower and lower. He goes in open like that. One punch. Tyson goes, <laughs> he's down. He did not get up till about 12. But they only count to 10. Yeah, for some strange reason, the referee gave him about five seconds on the floor before he started counting. So he would have been out, but he got up officially at about eight or nine, but he was down for longer than ten. He got up, and he came back to win the fight. But the point is this. Tyson soaked it up and soaked it up, but when the moment came, he landed the blow. You've got to know when you can land the blow, and you've got to land it. And you've got to have that in you and in your spirit. Otherwise, you're not going to fully come into all the kind of victory that God wants for you. So I hope you're up for that, um, even if you don't like boxing. Um, Now... Just to help you with a few things so you understand the passage here. The word of God, now here, um, the, the word that's used for word, there's two main words used in the New Testament for word, and they mean slightly different things, but there is overlap. So the one you're familiar with probably is logos, the logos, the word. Now, what that really means, it's a broad word, and it means that it means uh, the idea and expression of idea in speech. It also, it also came to mean throughout the Bible the actual um, body of teaching, body of doctrine in the Bible. Also, Jesus is referred to as the Logos of God because he's the ultimate expression. He is the Word of God. When Jesus speaks, he expresses God fully. So that's Logos. The other word is Rima. Now, Rima is a much narrower word, and it just means utterance. So if you, if you imagine you've got this idea of the Logos here, big broad term, but within it there's this idea of the Rima, which is the utterance. That's what's used here. So when Paul says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, he's saying utterance. And so there's a, with, with the Rima, there's a dynamic to it. It's always speaking. With Logos, it's sometimes speaking, but it can mean just, it can be a person. Jesus is the Logos. But with Rima, it's always speaking. So here, 
Part of our Christian warfare involves speaking. It's the word of God, but it's the utterance of God. That's the first thing I want to say on that. So there's a dynamic. Take up the sword of the Spirit. There's a speaking. Also, the phrase is quite, in the Greek, it's pretty basic. It doesn't say the word of God. It just says word God or utterance God. So it could maybe not just mean the word of God, but could also mean a word from God. It's important you understand these things because these are delicate nuances. It gets translated a certain way in the English because if it just said word God, what does that mean? So the translators have to decide, more likely to mean the word of God, can mean a word from God. So here's how I want you to understand this as we're going in. To take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, can mean the word of God, the truth of God. Everything that God has uttered and spoken that's been recorded here, the things that God has said, absolutely. No in the scripture, no in the Bible, yes. But also it can mean a word from God. So it's being quickened by the Spirit, knowing, knowing what God is saying and uttering that thing. Both those things can be included in here. Do you get what I mean now? Okay, I don't want to complicate you for the sake of it. But I did want to say that. Now, I want to just um, show you what I mean um, here from uh, the Gospel of Luke. If we could just look at that. Um, so that bit says, so this is Jesus in the wilderness is a perfect example of what it means to bring together the word of God, scripture, and a word from God, i.e. a sense of, this is what God is saying now. Watch how this progresses. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So here Jesus knows the word of God. He's not got a Bible with him. He's in his heart. He knows the word of God. So he brings the word of God, okay, as a sword. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Oh, sorry. Yeah, in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered again, It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. But now look what happens in the next exchange. Can we go on to the next slide? Is that okay? And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, Now Satan picks up the word of God, says, okay, you want to do that? Let's do that. But how does Jesus respond? So Satan says it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is. And again, quotes scripture. Now, that word there said is a similar root word to the word rima, utterance. So here's what's happening here. You're seeing both types of the sword of the spirit in action here. Jesus is bringing the word of God, the word of God. Then Satan picks up the word of God and brings it because you can bring scripture in a way that brings death, that deceives and that distorts. Many people have done terrible things under a scriptural kind of justification, but it's not from God at all. At that point, Jesus has a rema. He knows what God is saying into this And against the wrong use of the word of God, he speaks another scripture. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So in this story, you see almost the Logos and the Rima working well together there. You understand how that works? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Interesting, oh, look at that. There's delicate change. It's a different word there. Suddenly Jesus said, he's got an utterance from the Spirit. 
now. Yeah? So it's really important I want you to understand that by way of introduction. There's a static element to fighting with the sword. It says this, and it always says this. It's a dynamic element. Yes, and this is what he is saying now into this situation. Is that okay? Cool. Okay, great. Um, Final thing to say by way of preparation in this passage, swordmanship is seen in two main ways, vertical and horizontal. He speaks about the sword, then he speaks about prayer, straight away. And then he speaks about speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel. So there's the word of God vertically in prayer. I'm going to pray the word of God in. Then there's this, the word, the sword of the spirit, the word of God in sharing the gospel. So speaking to others the words of life, that is wielding the sword. This week we're looking at vertical in prayer. Next week, horizontal evangelism, sharing the faith. That's where we're going to go over these next two weeks, which we're going to spend on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, here we go then. So he goes on and he says, praying at all times. So take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me. So we're going to look at how to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, in prayer today. First of all, he says this thing, which is quite... People have very often said to me, how does this work? He says, praying at all times. I mean, I've done days on prayer and people have said, what I do when I do a teaching a day on prayer, at the start I say, Give me, let's write down everyone's questions on prayer. One that comes up frequently is, how do you pray all the time? And someone with a sort of a look of, you see the desperation in their face where they've tried, you know, and they just think, how do you do this? I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I don't think he's saying you should always be in prayer. I may be wrong, and you can contest that. Here's why. Didn't Jesus say something like, when you pray? How do we pray, Lord? Teach us how to pray. He said, when you pray, talk to the Lord's prayer. Jesus didn't say, what are you talking about? Just pray all the time. There's time for prayer. So when Paul says we're praying at all times, what is he saying? Here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying this. There's no time when you can't pray. Pray at all times. Pray when you're playing. Pray when you're relaxing. Pray when you're at work. Pray when you're at the prayer meeting. It's always a good idea. (laughs) There's no time when you can't pray. Pray at all times. I don't think he's saying always pray. I mean, what about what you do when you're asleep? It's going to be stressful, isn't it? I'm trying to sleep, but I really just want to intercede through the night as well, Lord. Can you help me to do both? It's not going to happen. You can't do it. And I think sometimes it, it, it just drives people into the depths of discouragement. I'm trying to pray at all times. And, you know, I watched this film, and at the end of the film, I realised I hadn't prayed at all during the film. <laughs> of course you didn't. It's ridiculous. You were supposed to pray throughout the whole film. That's absurd. Was it just me? Or is it absurd? It's absurd. <laughs> Few of us like films. Few of us are saying, no, Steph, I actually pray through every film. I say, oh, no. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying this. Do not become regimented in your Christian life so that you pray then. But well, no, don't pray then. No. No. Anytime, all times, it's good to pray. So what you mustn't develop as a culture, as a Christian, as a culture, as a church, is this thing of, well, we, we don't pray then. Or if someone suggests, well, we just pray quickly, that other people go, ooh, you're being spiritual. You don't want to do that. Because what it does, it just creates a weird kind of thing. 
you know what I mean? And the person who actually just wants to include Jesus in all of life gets to feel like the bad guy. Yeah, they're the bad guy because they just want to have a quick pray. Actually, that's really cool. That's really cool. It's really good. I remember we went around to Esther Sharma's once for dinner and, you know, she just, oh, I think between main course and pudding, she just brought out the bread and the wine. And, you know, when you're around someone who's just really normal, but really loves Jesus, it's great. Isn't it? It's a fantastic thing. And I think what Paul is saying here is that have your sword at the ready at all times. Be in close communication with God at all times. Be ready to pray at all times. Something's come up, pray. Don't let praying be your last resort. Pray at all times. Be ready. You know, put, put, put times of, little times of prayer in. And when we go on a family holiday, we'll always have a prayer at the start of the journey. Let's have a prayer, guys. Let's have a prayer, you know. We like having a prayer over a meal. You know, it's not a law, it's not a rule, it's not wrong if you don't. But for us, it means, hey, we know that pretty much every day we'll have a quick gathering to just pray together. It's good. Don't let anyone make you feel like the bad guy because you want to bring Jesus in to a situation, all right? Yeah, don't, don't let that become the culture. Don't let that become how, oh, we better not, or what will they say? Who cares what they say? You want to have a prayer of a prayer. Why? Because the Bible says pray at all times. All right? So that's what that means, and it's a beautiful, and it's a releasing releasing thing. So he says, pray at all times. But then he also says, um, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer. With all prayer. Well, what's that? Well, there's different kinds of prayer. There's this one we're going to look at and focus on, which he does, supplication, which means requests, petitions, bringing requests. But there's other kinds. There's intercession. Intercession, I would say, as a prayer, is like it's when, you, um, it's when you stand on behalf of those who either can't or won't and you get, you get a hold of God for them, and you, you, so you're standing in the gap. There, there are people here who are basically in trouble you know, or, or are running headlong into bad stuff and you think, man, what are we going to do? And you think, you're, you're going you're gonna to face the, the judgment of God for what you're doing. This is... Terrible. So you, and, and you're not going to pray. There's nothing in your heart that wants to pray. I'm going to stand in the gap between you and the Lord and I'm going to cry out on your behalf. And sometimes when you do that, it can lead to quite, uh, it can be intense. You can almost feel that you're drawn out of yourself and interceding for someone. And that's an amazing godly thing. You see it with Moses and the Israelites. The Israelites are being so terrible and obstinate and grumbling and sinful. God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses stands between them and the Lord and cries out, oh God, be faithful to your promise to the Israelites. And moves God's heart where God pours out mercy. Intercession. Powerful stuff. You can't really do that on the train. You gotta, when you're going to intercede, you've got to get with God and say, right, God. It's a moment. They're big moments. Then there's um, praise. Praise and worship, which is, God is worthy of because of who he is, but also it's warfare. We see stories throughout the Bible, one particularly in the Old Testament, where you know, they, just, they put the singers in front, they went before the army, and the, the enemy's just routed, and there's something, in the, there's something powerful when God's people gather together and worship and honour him. I absolutely believe that. I love what we do when we come together to honour his name and lift him up. I think it's so, there's so many facets to it. It's the bride coming to, um, coming to sing to her, her groom, but it's also the army of God coming together to make a racket for the kingdom of God and, and, and to just declare mighty truth that in the spirit realm just uh, penetrates out in mighty vibrations. And I just feel it does all kinds of things that we will never know until the day of eternity. And always have that in your heart when you come 
and gather together. You know, there's, there's that element to it. It's not all. There's, there should be massively intimate moments, silent moments of awe, but there should be the battle cry as well. And it's right that we've seen that restored in praise and worship, which is a powerful thing. It's a God thing. And use, so praise is powerful in spiritual warfare. Then there's prophetic declaration where you just get before God and you know something's not as it should be and God in, in the Bible says something different about it and you, you declare, no, God has said. That's important. I, don't know, I wonder how many of you do that in your prayer times where it's not just asking God to do stuff, but you declare, hold on a minute, God has said, I've seen, I can point to a number of times in my life where God has done amazing things in those moments. I remember praying for someone once who, when they served in a particular way in church, it... it, it, it it crippled them with terrible fear and anxiety and even physical uh, kind of uh, implications. And, and, I just, and I remember I was praying one time and, and it, I just felt I was like David before Goliath, you know, what was brought earlier. And I was like, this is not going to be, and, you know, just declare me. We've not been given a spirit of fear. And it was like, whoa, I'm not asking God here. I'm just declaring it. It's, this feels a bit like the spirit of God is declaring this thing through me. Um, didn't say anything to the person I was praying for. The next time they came to exercise that area of serving, fine. And they said to me, they come to me, they said, it's just different, you know. I'm, I'm a bit nervous, but it's excitement. It's not that whole thing's gone. And I'm just like, come on, Lord. <laughs> See, there's the, this is the, the di- this is the sword of the spirit. You're looking at the enemy marching forward. You're thinking, no, it's got to stop. You're not going to have it. And it's sold out and start to going to cut it down. It's got no right being there. It's contradictory to what God says in the Bible, to how things should be. So we fight, and you're looking for God's, God's perfect will to be done. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. And then thanksgiving, which should pepper all of our prayers. Just any kind of prayer you're doing, just pepper it with thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving kills, it kills covetousness. Now that, that wickedness in our heart where we always want more, you're never, sat, you're never content. You always want more. Oh, I need more of that. Oh, I need some of that. If only I had that. When you, when you pepper your life with thanksgiving to God, it just kills that. You suddenly just become aware of the kindness of God over your life. The generosity and that covetousness just dies. It kills ingratitude. You just find, oh, Lord, just bless you. Thank you for food in my stomach, for clothes on my body. I'm so... You know, just let that pepper everything. These, there's all kinds of different prayers. So when he, says, when, he, when he says all kinds of prayer, all prayer, that's what he's getting at there. There's all kinds of prayer. But he then focuses in on supplication and requests. If we're going to focus on, then we're done. The bottom line here is this. We need one another's prayers. I need you to be praying for me. You need me to be praying for you. Charles Spurgeon was an amazing preacher in the 19th century who preached in the Elephant and Castle in London, grew a ch- I mean, church grew to thousands. It was, there was nothing, it was a phenomenon. I said, what's your secret? He said, my people pray. My people pray for me. Uh, he was convinced it was, it was the secret place, the praying. Oh, to be a praying church. We, we, some of us leaders recently went to a meeting where we heard about not just being a church with prayer meetings, but being a praying church. It was very stirring. Because Tuesday morning, yeah, let's get hold of God. Absolutely. But that's not it. In twos and threes, we pray. In gospel communities, we pray. When we take the bread and wine later, let's pray with one another. Let's keep in close contact with Jesus together. Amen? Let's be lifting one another up. Let's be strengthening one another. This can work two ways. It can be that sometimes you just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit. I've got to pray for so-and-so. You could be indoors just, I don't know, doing a cooking or whatever, and suddenly someone comes to mind and you think, oh, Lord, just pray for them. 
That's the spirit just leading you because you're part of the body, leading you to pray for that person. Or it could be a situation like, guys, we've got the Rileys in Poland. They've just had baby number five and he's seriously ill. We've got to pray for Flynn. So it's something that we just, we just announced. We know someone's in a tight spot. We know someone's under pressure. We know someone's facing difficulty. Pray. Pray for strength. Pray for perseverance. Pray for God's mercy. Pray for healing. This is how it works. We make supplications and requests for one another. We remain strong. It's that Roman formation again. It's that standing in the square, shields all around one another, slicing for one another. It's all the great war movies where someone's just about to be shot through with a bow and arrow, but then someone on his side comes from behind and gets the guy. It's that whole thing. It's not just me fighting my battle. We're in it together. And I'm grateful for that. And then he says, keep alert in it. He's saying, don't go into autopilot when you're praying. Anyone ever done that before? Bless the world, Lord, and all of that. Just bless them all. Bless them all, Lord. Bless them all, Lord. And you think, I don't actually know what I'm praying. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've just been saying, bless the world, Lord, for the last five minutes. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I was thinking about ice cream. You know, I mean, it can happen. It can happen. It does happen. That's why Paul says, stay alert. There's a warfare issue here. In old times, if you fell asleep on watch... During war, do you know what would happen? You'd be killed by your own side. That was the punishment. If you sleep on watch, they shoot you. Why? Because you've fallen asleep there. There's implications. You are putting all these people's lives in danger. So when you pray, pray. Engage your faculties. Be vigorous in prayer. It's so important. It's an important thing. It's not a, it's not, it doesn't, you mustn't sort of say, well, it doesn't sound much like grace. I thought God just loves us for how we are. Of course he does. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the love of God. Of course he does. That's not the, the subject isn't the love of God. The subject is warfare. It's a war we're fighting. We've got to be alert. We've got to be vigorous. We've got to be ready. It's nothing to do with the love of God. He loves you. Man, if he loved you when you were totally alienated from him and sent his son to die for you, man, of, of course. He loves you. That's, all, that's done and dusted. Hallelujah. But he's also enlisted you into the, into the army. He says, now come on now. You've got to be alert. And when you pray, pray. Which means sometimes it's really practical stuff, isn't it? It's like, okay, I'm going to pray, so I'm not going to sit in that chair. Yeah? That, that chair's, that's not the praying chair. <laughs> that's the sleeping chair. You know the sleeping chair? You've all got one in your house. You've all got the sleeping chair. Don't pray in it. Yeah, don't convince yourself. No, it's okay this time because, you know... There's a breeze, there's a breeze. It'll be fine, you know, or whatever, you know, or just don't go there to pray. Go somewhere else to pray where you remain alert. If you're a walker, go out and walk and pray so that you remain alert. It's important. It's practical, but it's important to stay alert in these things. And then he says, and persevere. They're the two things in prayer. Stay alert and persevere. Um, so you, imagine you're in a battle and it's not going your way. You can't just strop off. If you're in the middle of a fight and think, flip, they're still coming. You can't just go, blow you lot, and walk. You can't do that. You can't. They're still coming, so keep firing. All right? That's what you've got to do, because they're still coming. So you just keep firing till they stop coming. That's, that's it. You can't just say, I've had enough now. You can't do that. It's not how it works. The enemy's still coming. You keep fighting. When, that, when it kicks it and you think, oh, what do I do? Just stay there. That, that's just, just stay there. Um, it's like I said earlier with the, with the Tyson illustration sometimes 
Sometimes it just keeps coming. It just does. It's a season. You feel like this is relentless. I felt like I was at the end of my tether and then eight more things have happened. It's just keep coming. You know those seasons? At those seasons, what you've got to do is nothing dramatic, nothing heroic. Just wait it out. There was another very famous boxing match between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. Now, George Foreman was a big hitter. Muhammad Ali floated like a butterfly, stung like a bee. Now, what happened was this. Muhammad Ali, it's called the rope-a-dope. He sat on the ropes. Well, he didn't sit on the ropes, but he leant back on the ropes and he let Foreman come at him for round after round. He just covered up and, and he just took it, soaked it up, soaked it up. Now, here's the thing, you see. Punching someone takes a lot of energy out of you. It really is tiring. And Ali knew this. So we just waited and waited and waited. In the end, Foreman had nothing left. He literally had nothing left in him. And he just came off the ropes and finished him. Sometimes it's like that. You've just got to soak it up. Because it just keeps coming. And it just keeps coming. And, it just, and just wait. Soak it up. Keep your guard up. Your shield. All this stuff. People around you. So you're soaking it up. There's no killer blow. It's no knockout blow. But it just keeps coming. Keep, okay, roll with it. Roll with it. It's not going to go on forever. The Lord will never test you beyond what you can bear. He's sovereign over all of this. Okay? But it keeps coming as long as it does. And then when it stops, bang. Yeah? Bang. And you see that thing go down and you go, ah, come on, Jesus. We want a bit of that in our lives, don't we? So you've got to have something in, your, something in you that almost says to the devil, it's like you say, I will put my guard up and you can rain down what you can. But when you're done and when you're out of ideas, I'm going to still be here and I'm going to pierce you through. You've got to have that about you. You've got to have that. It's not cocky or arrogant, not encouraging massive dialogue with the devil, but something about that in your spirit where you say, well, bring what you, bring, okay, bring what you need to bring. I know that my father will not let me be tested beyond what I can bear. I've got my brothers and sisters around me. I'm not living in isolation, so I'm not, you know, it's not like, you know, everyone's there and I'm just being picked off because I'm isolated. No, I'm right in. We've got shields around us. I'm in fellowship. I'm, account- I'm living accountably. I'm just doing the basics. I'm in the Word, just letting myself be washed in the Word. But you know what? I'm really not making great strides here. I'm just getting pummeled. Okay, and it, just let it come. Let it, it comes, and it comes, and it comes. And then when it's done, I'll tell you, there's, there's a, it's victory. There's another matrix through which you can look at it. See, that's the thing with Christianity. There's diff- Here's another matrix. The Christian life is about death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. And that's what happens. You walk through deaths and resurrections, deaths and resurrections. It's, a, it's another way of looking at it. You just, there are seasons you just think, where's it all gone? There are seasons, where's it all gone, man? My passion for the Bible, where's it gone? My boldness, where's it? there are seasons you feel like, man, I just feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in a tomb here. But you know what follows a tomb in Christianity, right? <laughs> it's always the resurrection. And it's not something you do. He raises you up and it's more glorious than ever. You've got to trust him. It's his pattern, it's his rhythm, it's what he's doing. He's over it all, and he's wise, and it's beautiful. Hallelujah. So, to conclude, application, how do you take up the sword? Just get familiar with the Bible. Um, that way you're ready. Jesus in the wilderness had it hidden in his heart. Didn't have one with him. There wasn't Bibles in there. There weren't Bibles, you know. There were big scrolls in synagogues, but he didn't carry them around with you. He had it in his heart. Have it, get it in your heart. And I know I've probably used this illustration before. I always do. I use it every day. I teach on prayer because Davina's an amazing example of this, whereby she's a woman of the word. 
She's an abs- I mean, she's ravenous for the Bible, but she can't remember a bit of it. And uh, the worst memory I've ever, I've ever encountered, right? John 3.16, that's the only one, isn't it? Only one she can do, right? So, but because, because she's in the Word and it's in her, the Holy Spirit has a whole load of scriptural richness to remind her of. So whenever she's praying for someone and a scripture comes to mind, she knows it's prophetic because she can't remember any of it. So she, yeah, so she knows, wow, this is from the Lord because it's, it's, it's from the Bible and it's not John 3.16. So, so she, it's great. So it's a really good system we've got now, isn't it? It's great. When she gets a scripture, I'm like, bring it. You've got to bring it. It must be prophetic, you know. So even if you think, I'm, just not, I'm not that person with the memory, get it in you. The Spirit of God will remind you. He will bring it to the front at the moment when you need it. And it will be the rima, the utterance, the word, it is said. This is what God is doing here and now. Yeah? So just get it in you and don't worry about it whether you can, you know, Dan Hater, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John for breakfast and all of that. You know, if you can't recite it backwards and all that for fun. If you can't do that, that's okay. Jesus still loves you. And um, the Holy Spirit, will, he will use you in it and the way you are. Now, just to say, I know to say things like, get in the Bible, sounds a bit old, a bit passe, a bit, well, is that it? Yeah, listen, I mean, that is it. I've got nothing to say, so it's a big deal, either believe it or don't, okay? I'm not going to nag you, I'm not going to start, it's with you, okay? It's with you, but I do care about your spiritual health, I care about how you do in this battle. Take it from me, it's a huge deal. Okay, there'll be lots of fancy ideas that come along in the next 30 years in Christianity, lots of novelties, this, that and the other. None of them will replace this. This is huge. So whether you listen to it, audio or read it, it doesn't matter. get the word of God into you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, finally, we do not fight as the world does. Amen, we know that. That is not where our battle is. And um, I want to just show this little instance in Jesus' life, um, which I just think is really important for us. We're going to end on this. Jesus has been arrested. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. The whole idea we're learning in Ephesians 6 is that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. When Peter cut off the servants here, Jesus said, stop it, healed his ear. It's not primarily where the fight is, because the kingdom isn't of this world. Okay? So have that in your mind. Let's go on. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. Our warfare is not in this world. Jesus comes to testify to the truth because he is the truth. And I want to ask you today, will you let the sword that comes out of his mouth, this word that divides soul and spirit, this absolute unchanging, timeless truth. Will you let this truth testify in your spirit? Will you come to the one who said, I am the truth? Will you come to this Jesus? He wasn't guilty. I find no guilt in him. He wasn't guilty, but still they killed him. Why? Because it was the foreplanned scheme of the Father, Son, and the Spirit that the Son should die for our sins. 
that the Son should experience the horrors of sinful humanity in its full completeness so that we may be reconciled to God. So that we might find actually we no longer have to run from the truth of God for fear of what it will expose in us. But we can come understanding that actually the sword is more like a surgeon's knife. If we let it cut into our lives, it will separate that which is diseased and lead into death, sin, from that which God wants to renew and bring, the, the, the us he has created us to be. And I want to end by saying, will you let the sword of God penetrate into your heart? It will only bring life. It will only bring health. It will only bring joy. And it will only bring peace.